You are in the ring with Hector Colon, seven-time national boxing champion turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the U.S. In the Ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and is produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Colon. Hello, 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 and welcome to In the Ring with Hector Colon, the show that gets real about the challenges facing the social services sector and the people we serve. We take on these issues with people at the center of these challenges, true champions who are willing to get into the ring with me. I hope these conversations spark awareness and inspiration and shift our sector from struggle to triumph. Thank you to our In the Ring sponsor, M3. Mike Vickerson, the CEO of M3, is here with me today. We are so appreciative of all you do, your partnership, your services, your philanthropy, your friendship. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome, Hector, and I'm excited to get in the ring. Great. As my coach Shorty used to say, let's go, champ. All right. So again, in the ring with me today is Mike Vickerson. He's the CEO of M3 Insurance, a privately owned independent insurance broker, largest in the state of Wisconsin, uh, focused on risk management, employee benefits, business insurance, and human resources consulting. Uh, He is responsible for the strategic direction and vision for the organization, and he serves on the M3 Board of Directors and is a member of the Executive Operating Committee. He's also a member of several boards, including Broker Tech, uh, the first broker-led investor group and accelerator. Uh, he was brought up through the organization. It's the only place he has received a check. Mm-hmm. He has personal, personal experience in all levels of service within the organization, and you used to even sweep the floors, right? Pretty much, yeah, in the mailroom. All right. Uh, another fun fact on the MC web, uh, M3 website, uh, it says that you wish feathered, uh, the feathered cut oh, would come sure. back. Yeah, you know, when I was in high school and I had hair, I had a beautiful feather <laughs> with a nice mullet. I just wish uh, that would come back. I guess it's coming back in some circles. but And if you had hair, you'd, you'd oh, do, I'd it. do it. I'd rock it. <laughs> Great. You know, I just have to say, I serve on the M3 uh, board as a board member, and uh, Mike is a great person, uh, a great leader. He inspires his team for greatness, and he's very generous in this community. So I'm I'm truly humbled and honored to call you a friend uh, and partner and for you to be on this podcast with me. Well, likewise for all that, for me to you, Hector, and I'll add one more. Thanks for being a great boss. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, champ. Are you ready for round one? Ready. Let's get into it. So I want to talk a little bit about an update on COVID and some some of the other health crises we're facing uh, uh, right now. So are we living in a post-COVID world right now? I do think we are. I do think we are. Tell me, how can you tell? Yeah. So, you know, when I hear uh, post-COVID, one of the places my mind goes to quickly is uh, also using the word pandemic. And when I think about uh, post-COVID or post-pandemic, uh, I'm watching even right now uh, as COVID cases uh, surge a bit in Wisconsin and in the country, uh, we're dealing with it as a virus, not necessarily a pandemic that shuts down schools or shuts down workplaces. And so um, I think people are more comfortable uh, uh, taking care of themselves and being mindful of their community if they have the virus. 
And at the same time, understanding how important it is for us to be together, especially our kids in schools. Great. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I know there's um, there was an article in a newspaper the other day that there is an uptick mm -hmm. of uh, some new cases uh, of, of COVID, but but you're right, uh, we're, we're learning how to live with it, uh, just how we have with the flu in the past. And, and people are taking more safety precautions to make sure that um, we're not hurting each other uh, along in the process. Um, what do you think is the greatest, next greatest challenge behind COVID that you see organizations uh, grappling with? Yeah, you know, this is kind of a two-part answer for me. I think the first one is that the people that are on their teams right now and the people they do business with, and then also the next generation of the workforce, I, I, we watch businesses struggle to get people together. COVID was a big separator in the pandemic, during the pandemic. It, we like to call it in some circles, a great I, me, my uh, time for our country. And we're, I think a lot of our businesses and clients and uh, community organizations are trying to be a we, us, our organization and bring people back together. But it's hard because new habits have formed uh, working from home and also taking care of families from home. And so striking that right balance between giving people flexibility to do those things while at the same time calling them into the community of their workplace is a massive challenge for a lot of our customers. And they're working on it. I think the second thing is the mental health aspect uh, that still is with us since COVID, um, we have a lot of people who are, are struggling still with uh, social anxiety um, and anxiety in general about what it looks like to re-engage, especially more socially oriented businesses and roles. Uh, I was, recently as last night, I was at a dinner uh, talking about Gen Z. And so this would be people, let's say 26 and younger that are coming into the workforce. Uh, this generation specifically, and when the pandemic hit, was very tough for them in some really formative years, like in college or right out of college. Uh, and they're dealing with a lot of social anxiety um, and, and a lot of balancing of media on their phone and what do I do at my workplace and in person. And so I think these are big, real challenges. I'm grateful for LSS in one respect too, that I know mental health and uh, well-being is a big part of the work that you all do. Uh, and it's going to be needed and necessary for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. We we saw a huge uptick of individuals experiencing anxiety and depression uh, during uh, COVID, and it required us to to hire more therapists uh, because we had to do more work. Um, being on the um, board of regents uh, for the UW system as well, we see a lot of the students. You know exactly what you're talking about, um, facing those similar challenges, and. Um, you know, some of them, when they were freshmen, they wanted to have that college, that university experience. You know, it was very difficult for them, and some of it led to anxiety and, and some depression. So organizations like ours are there uh, for those individuals. You mentioned about um, just the workforce. Yeah, it really has changed, and um, there's a lot of people that really want that flexibility and, and work from home. But I think you hit it right on the head of trying to have a balance and have some flexibility, uh, but we got to get people together because it's important. It builds team and, and culture, and and those are things that that are very important. In addition to the flexibility. So the next question: um, What silver linings do you see for organizations today, uh, in co in comparison to pre-COVID days? Yeah, you know, I think a couple. One, I think organizations got a, a real 
street level lesson in resiliency. And they learned how to get through uh, things that maybe were on a disaster recovery plan that became an everyday recovery plan. Uh, and so I think they're tougher. Uh, the, another one is, I think if you put a positive spin on all of the tech and digitization that's happened in work, I think it's sped up the pandemic and uh, the COVID era sped up uh, embracing technology to get together, uh, to speed things along, to make things more efficient. And so now that we're post-COVID, I think we have a lot of customers um, and a lot of businesses in different sectors and nonprofits who are more productive, actually, uh, not less productive, more productive because of how they use the technology tools at their disposal. And so I think that this adaption uh, to technology has really helped uh, our customers become better businesses, our nonprofits become better organizations, and they're now learning how to make it even more of a human touch uh, and a human exposure in terms of balancing that with like what we just said, okay, now let's get back together. Uh, because if we, have, if we have both, I think that's the secret sauce. Absolutely, I agree. And to your point on technology, one huge silver lining for, for our sector is that we were able to build um, uh, Medicaid via telehealth, where before that we, we couldn't do that. And that continues to exist. Um, so for us, um, we've gone back to see most of the people we serve in person, but we still have telehealth. And it's depending on the person that we serve, if, if they have a preference of of being seen uh, via telehealth, we, we, we do that. And now we can bill for those services where in the past we couldn't. So that was a big silver lining uh, for us that we're very appreciative because imagine during COVID where we couldn't see our community, the individuals we served in the community. Because we have residential, so those we, we saw and we never stopped at 24-7 operations. We continue to do that. But those in the community, literally we couldn't see them right away until and very quickly uh, we implemented this telehealth uh, platform and gave us the ability to serve them, um, I would argue, um, in times where they really needed us. And it's not going away. Yes, yes, definitely. Great. Well, that completes uh, round one. In round two, we're going to discuss the significant and emerging risks that are impacting our organizations. But first, a word from our sponsor. Supporting your employees is more than a paycheck and 401k. It's just a fact. People today are at a higher risk of experiencing mental illness, housing insecurity, and substance abuse. Do you know the health of your employees, your communities? How can you step up your benefits to better address their well-being? M3 Insurance helps businesses see beyond basic benefits and support employees where they live. It's a meet-them-where-they-are approach that LSS delivers to their clients every day. M3 and LSS offer real solutions to now commonplace realities that strengthen employees and inspire communities to thrive. Test your employee benefit strategy now by going to m3ins.com. All right. You ready for round two? All right. Ready to, I just took a break. Got some ice on my face. You kind of let All me right. have it. We're ready to good, go. Good, good. Let's go, champ. Uh, can you give me a brief overview of cybersecurity? And what are the major risks that organizations should be aware of right now? You bet. Um, it's a massive topic. 
You know, being in the insurance broking and risk management business, one thing overarching about cybersecurity and then cyber insurance, uh, we used to have to educate people about the necessity for both because they're two different things. Uh, we don't anymore. Um, people understand, again, regardless of the type of organization that they run, that uh, it is becoming more and more important to have a robust cybersecurity strategy uh, as well as purchasing the right type of uh, insurance. And probably the, the the biggest things is from an overview perspective uh, that, that listeners should be aware of. Number one, uh, human error is probably still the greatest cause for breaches of systems that result in ransomware and attacks and shutting down systems. And so uh, helping out human error with tools like multi-factor authentication, education of your workforce, uh, these things are really important because as we talked about in the last round, uh, more people are working from home. More people are remote. Uh, another thing that's really prevalent is supply chains um, are really being targeted and attacked. So you think about all of the different um, uh, businesses, organizations, service providers that even LSS works with. Those are all little on-ramps potentially for threat actors to take advantage of you and potentially shut down your systems and extort you. Um, and so it's a really uh, important thing uh, for us to focus on with our customers. Um, and I think your listeners uh, don't need a lot of encouragement to understand how important it is for their risk management strategy. Absolutely. And I can say that you have provided us with support and services, both on the insurance and, and the security side. And, and I just have to thank you so much because it is so important. I mean, oh, yeah. this is very dangerous out there. You know, I want to ask you a question. Um, just, I'm hearing that um, out in the field that if you get attacked and if you're asked uh, for money, I'm hearing a little bit now, don't be so quick to, to give the money. Um, what are you hearing or what are you experiencing and what, what's that balance, you know? Yeah, that, if, if, if you are in the unfortunate circumstance of having a breach, one of the things that um, you sh would and should be engaged with is a whole bunch of people around you very quickly to help advise you around things like ransom, paying it uh, or not, and if paying it, when and how much, usually through crypto. So your cyber insurance policy will actually give you access to uh, a law firm that is expert in helping with reputational risk and restoring that reputation and negotiating the unlocking of your system. It'll also give you access to a cyber forensics firm that will dive deep into your systems, identify where the bad guys, gals got in and get them out and make sure that they stay out. Um, but, but the thing that ultimately, uh, to your point, is a very hot topic in the area is as long as we pay ransom, threat actors see it as a revenue source. And so we are seeing more and more organizations, if they can and if they're resourced enough and if potentially their systems have been backed up, who are choosing not to pay the ransom. Um, and so it is something that I'm not surprised you're hearing about because it's an active conversation. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And that's why it's so important to have that team and consultants such as in organizations like M3 and other uh, uh, legal attorneys to help uh, with that process. So what is the difference uh, between cybersecurity and cyber insurance? Yeah, to, to try to keep this high level and straightforward, cybersecurity is all the efforts that you take 
to protect your, your technology infrastructure um, so that it can protect the information that your clients are asking you to protect, the people that work at your, uh, your company or your organization, uh, and then all the, the steps that you take from a, a, a technology perspective, think IT department, to make sure that you're consistently monitoring your system, uh, you're, you're kicking out the nefarious activity and things that it's uh, noticing, you're keeping up on upgrades and patches. This is a huge area that sometimes uh, you know patches to software can get overlooked. And that patch that didn't get upgraded is the place that they got into. And so that day-to-day, you know, maintenance and diligence around your system. And then last but not least, uh, doing enough work on a periodic basis where you do tabletop exercises so that literally if something bad does happen, uh, it isn't the first time you're going through what you're going to do about it. It would literally be like saying, I'm going to get in the ring with Hector without training. That'd be a bad idea for me Um, and a lot of people over the years. And so... Uh, how you prepare for that fight uh, is really, really important. With cyber insurance, that's always pretty much after the fact. Um, if something bad has happened, as I referenced before, that's when your cyber insurance policy will help connect you to the right legal team, to the right uh, forensics team to kick the bad operators out, and also to help you restore your system so that you can get moving forward again. Sometimes even it helps restore some financial damages to you or your customers. Great. As I see you explaining that, um, I see some bobbing and weaving in the strategy and rolling with the punches <laughs> and then some knockouts too, right? Um, okay, the next question. Uh, beyond cybersecurity, what other areas do you see as significant emerging risk facing organizations today? Hmm. Well, I maybe in a non-traditional way only because I think people will understand when I say this, it's kind of straightforward, but at the same time, it, it potentially is as important as it's ever been. And it's the training and development effort that organizations take. But millennials occupy half of the workforce now. People aged 27 to 43 make up half of the active workforce and so many of the decision-making uh, roles in the country. And for many of them, it's the first time that they've had said role. Well, um, what are you doing in a hybrid work environment in many cases to help bring them along and give them the care, concern, training, and apprenticeship that they need to be awesome at their job? Um, I think it's a risk. And when I get a chance to, to spend time with our clients, one of the single biggest things they talk about in the area of talent is either A, how can I find enough and how can I find the right talent? But then B, once I get them onto our team, how can I teach them yeah, how to throw a punch? Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes they don't know. And Bob um, and Weed. And, and so I think that's that's a, that's a and huge And they don't piece. have a cup so that they got to <laughs> understand that those low blows hurt, right? They got to right. go with it. Um, uh, another piece that is, uh, you know, really just it, you know, generally uh, facing in terms of, you know, organizations are facing in terms of risk right now is um, we have a, uh, a regulatory and legal environment right now that is contributing to a lot of class action and large jury awards. And, and those things are then washing up on the beach of a lot of the companies we do business with in terms of risk that they have to mitigate because they don't want to be in that situation. Or if they have to transfer risk through an insurance policy, insurance policy, terms, conditions, pricing, et cetera, is going through the roof. It's one of the worst markets to purchase insurance in 20 years. And it's in large part because of regulatory and, and legal you know, jury awards that are kind of unsustainable um, around the country. 
Uh, and then I think the last piece is, you know, most of our clients have uh, employee benefit programs. And within those benefit programs, a huge piece that can be both life-sustaining and giving, but financially very difficult is pharmacy and a lot of the emerging, what they're calling super drugs or super medication. And when you think about medication, that could be something that would give quality of life to a young child or someone in their middle ages and prolong their life. Who wouldn't want that? Um, I know if it was my loved one, I would. And when it's two or three million dollars a year, how do you price for that? Uh, and so we've got some real collision and, and pinch points coming in this area in the next three to five years as patents come online and, and things like that. And so we're uh, we're watching it closely, but it's going to be some significant work for our customers. Yeah, these are real significant challenges. Uh, those increase in costs, especially for our sector where, you know, we don't have much margin. Um and we got to do all we can to to afford our, our current insurance, and and then our colleagues uh, oftentimes can't afford um, some of these um, additional benefits you're talking about. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. Hopefully, this settles a little bit uh, for the for the good of not only our sector but everybody, because it's having a burden on all of us. That completes round two. In round three, we're going to talk about sector strategies related to partnerships, mergers and acquisitions, and philanthropy. Are you ready for round three? Ready, Hector. All right. What can our sector learn from your experience uh, to help organizations find greater success with mergers and acquisitions? Mm -hmm. So, I, I, you know, the, the place in our sector where M&A starts in terms of setting it up for sex is uh, a success is making sure that we pay the right price. Um, good analysis of someone that we would acquire of their customer base, understanding if, if, if we can serve that customer base, retain that customer base, maybe even find uh, some synergy to make one plus one equal three, if you will. Those things are all critical for success. Um, and you know, if we did the merger, uh, is this the type of, do we think we can do good with it? Um, and, and it becomes more than just about a, a financial question. Um, what does the leadership look like and, and is it a good fit with our leadership? But if I were trying to map it over to, uh, your world, does that mean that, you know, you think that your service delivery in combination with who you might merge with? Could it become more efficient? Um, might it even become more robust because you've got different groups of people together who are uh, combining their talents and their gifts? Um, I think the other piece is that in our world, every merger and acquisition has an earnout. So uh, there's a period of time where the people who have just joined us have to perform if they want all of their financial reward. I think similarly in your sector, is there an opportunity for you to work with if you were acquiring someone, let's say Hector, can you retain some of their donors? Um, can you retain some of their, their key contacts so that you can make sure that the merger is good in perpetuity and helps the sustainability of both organizations? I like that a lot. Um, and I like about what you said around doing good and, and having impact because that really resonates with our sector because we're not necessarily acquiring 
another nonprofit. It'd be more of a merger. Now, there are for-profit entities that we could acquire, and that would be a little different. But um, our sector is a little slow here um, in terms of mergers and acquisitions. And I would say that there's too many of us, Hmm. and we should have more to create exactly what you said, more of those efficiencies, give us greater impact, uh, scale, and allow us to do greater good amongst um, uh, in a more efficient manner. So we have a, a merger and acquisition strategy now that we're just starting in, in hopes that we can find other entities that be willing to join us. So thank you for sharing your your um, your thoughts and and I'm on your board, so I continue to learn about all the great stuff that that you're doing. I want to get into uh, philanthropy a little bit, and I want to read from uh, Giving USA. Uh, it reported that charitable giving dropped close to $500 billion in 2022. This followed two years of record generosity. The Chronicle of Philanthropy confirmed that just 6% of those donations uh, came from businesses. Additionally, the Chronicle said companies today are given a smaller share of their profits than they used to, hovering around 0.8% of pre-tax profits in the in the past couple of decades. What do you attribute to this decline? Yeah, I, I think that there's a tremendous connection back to something we've already discussed, and that's the pandemic. Um, I, I know I wore out these pronouns before, but I'm going to use them again. I I truly believe the pandemic was the great I, me, my of my life. Some for really good reasons. People were taking care of their health and they were taking care of their family. And so it became about them and their family first. Um, As things uh, settled down and things got better, however, a lot of new habits and new patterns were formed. And like I mentioned before, I think organizations, and now in this case, from a philanthropic perspective, we're almost trying to reteach our citizenry what it means to be we, us, our. And when you think about the connection of philanthropy and business, I I truly believe the workforce for years was a primary connector and convener of people who could be either um, uh, participating in philanthropy with their hands or with their wallets uh, from the workplace, connecting them to the community. Um, you know, from my proximity and people that I've talked to, that didn't necessarily happen from people's homes 10 years ago. Most people learned about needs of the community from their workplace. And so if people aren't there as much, and if that isn't happening as much, and I don't think it is, um, it is not at all shocking that this has occurred. You know, I mean, the other thing too, uh, this isn't meant to be a political statement, but we made some changes to the tax code. And you know, with the, I don't, I don't know how many people think like this, but I mean, with the itemized deduction changes, um, there's a lot of people who would be participatory givers. So people that aren't maybe making transformational financial gifts, but participatory givers that might give $100 here or $500 there that now don't necessarily have the economic incentive to do so because of the changes to the itemized deduction and the tax code. Um, I, think, I think those are real things that now we have to think about how do we combat so that we can reverse this trend? Because one of the things I think we've all been proud of in our state, in our companies over the years, maybe our families, is that um, we're a part of a community. And and we have a responsibility and a calling to to build people up. Uh, And not everyone has the same opportunities 
and we have to help provide them and then let them soar, you know, from those opportunities. Again, thank you. Some really good points uh, you shared there. Just first on the, on the tax code, uh, we were really worried at LSS about that because the overwhelming majority of donors that we have, and we have a lot of them, 1,000, 500. Yeah, like what I call those participatory donors. The small donors, right. but we have a lot of them. Yeah. And with the tax code, we were worried that uh, we would lose a lot of them and there wouldn't be uh, that incentive for them to continue to give. Um, we've been blessed. Uh, we've pretty much maintained and even increased a little bit awesome. uh, our philanthropy, but we've also brought in some bigger donors because we know that the bigger donors are the ones that uh, continue to give. Um, sometimes they've even even increased their giving uh, in the time of COVID. So, um, yeah, so we, 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 we were facing that as well. You're bucking the trend. Yeah. And then the other point you have is that, yeah, donors want to be close and and, um, and proximate to the services that are provided. They want to feel it. They want to see it. They want to touch it. They want to be a part of it. And certainly during COVID, that, that wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. And even in our sector, though, um, it's sometimes difficult because, you know, you, don't, you want to protect the privacy of the people that we serve. So if you're going to go to a, an addiction treatment center, does that person there, he has individual, he or she has individual rights? Do they want to know that, hey, um, somebody in the community is coming in and they see them? So we have that issue, too, that we have to be very careful with. Uh, of course, getting the don- uh, the uh, client um, uh, permission and making sure our, our colleagues um, feel comfortable as well. But again, both uh, great points. How can nonprofits more strategically partner with corporations to help sustain our mission uh, work in the community? I think this is a tremendous opportunity for everybody involved. I, if if I were somehow on uh, on the staff of a of a nonprofit, one of the things I would be talking to our team about um, is how do we change, in essence, our sales and marketing efforts to become an extension of the human resources teams of businesses to make awareness, volunteering, and giving uh, easier for them to administer. Uh, I mentioned before, the workforce has changed quite a bit. Um, Businesses are managing people in and out of their uh, offices. There's a lot of people that are in charge who need the help and the creativity that I think the nonprofit community can help uh, by introducing their mission were to businesses at the workplace uh, and using, and then the, what's in it for the workplace is people know that when I've got an actively engaged workforce, which includes volunteering time and giving financially to the community, they stay at my work uh, place longer. I have longer employee and colleague retention. And so everybody gets to win. Um, and so I think that would be a, a massive opportunity uh, for nonprofits to work on that. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily start with a financial ask. It starts with a, how can we become a part of your uh, workforce engagement and retention strategy by, in, by helping you connect them to the community? Um, I want to ask you, you know, one, one of the things I wanted to share too is our sector can help the private sector from a workforce perspective. We don't have enough workers nowadays. And so um, we have people with disabilities um, oftentimes that want to work. And sometimes the government, there's, there's um, 
restrictions that don't allow them to work. Um, because if they work, then they'll get off certain programs and then they feel, well, I, might as, I, I can't get off this program. So then there's disincentives. Um, so I'm here to say that our sector can help the workforce needs persons with disabilities, persons coming out of incarceration, mm. might have that felony um, on their forehead, but these are individuals that many of them regret what they did to get them into incarceration. So we're there to get these individuals uh, back uh, into the workforce. So I, I want to go back to what is your selection criteria on how you give and why? At M3, we, we line up our giving and our foundation through a lot of the work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so we align through uh, health and safety. Uh, we, we've got a, a pretty robust uh, application vetting and review process with our board. And then um, we also try, because we think it's connected to the communities that we live and work in, we've got eight offices. And so we try and um, make sure that we divide our philanthropy, if we can, uh, among those offices. We have some statewide uh, people that we support, like you all, um, which is our pleasure. Uh, but I really think that uh, if if people are listening to this and, and they're in the nonprofit sector, doing enough homework to understand both the services they provide and the people that they're calling on that they're going to make an ask for to see how those services line up with their mission or even a, a niche of their mission. Um, I think that will help dramatically with uh, them being successful. Um, but that's been a, a big part of our kind of sifting and winnowing process as we line it up with health and safety. Great. All right, last question. How are you gonna use your punching power to this next year to advocate for our sector? Well, I, um, I'm, I'm feeling a calling to make sure that I can lend my, my experience and my relationships to um, understanding opportunities to participate in the greater good. And I know one of them is going to be with your fine organization um, as a part of your, your efforts going forward. I don't want to scoop everybody. I know there's some exciting <laughs> news coming down the, down the, the road here. Um, but I do believe that um, people like me who have had uh, the good fortune to have so many things happen for them uh, and to have the luck that I've had, that we have a responsibility uh, to make sure that we stay very connected to our community and do whatever we can. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, you are a true knockout today. You're a knockout you. in life. You're a knockout at M3. You're a knockout in this community. Appreciate you so much. Thank you, Hector. I want to recap on a few points that Mike made. Uh, relating COVID, he talked about how we're learning to live with COVID. Where in the beginning, it was a pandemic. Um, now it's a virus. He also talked about some of the workforce challenges, uh, really having the balance of flexibility, but also making sure you have team and culture and that doesn't get compromised through this new reality of wanting more flexibility. I really liked when he talked about um, I, me, my needs to turn into we, us, ours. Uh, that was very interesting. We, we talked a little bit about mental health and how organizations like LSS were so important in, in during the COVID uh, pandemic. 
and how we needed to provide services uh, for those that needed us most uh, under very challenging times. We talked a little bit about silver linings and uh, technology and how technology increased our efficiency, our productivity, our ability to uh, see people from all across the country in a more efficient uh, and um, effe- uh, effective way. Um, so that 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 was a silver lining for us. I talked about how telehealth was a silver lining, where in the past we were not able to bill ten or nineteen through telehealth. During the pandemic, uh, some laws changed, and that gave us the ability to be able to bill through through telehealth, Title 19. So that gave us the ability uh, to serve tens of thousands of individuals in Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and also um, bring in the revenue to support uh, those services. We talked about cybersecurity, um, where we need to focus on this now. It's, it's so important now more than ever to have a huge uh, cybersecurity focus and plan uh, for our our organizations. And he mentioned that human error uh, is the greatest cause of breach. So it really is our colleagues uh, within our organizations that are clicking on, on something they shouldn't be clicking on. And so we talked about the need for a lot of training and multi-factor authentication to really help make sure that we're being safe uh, for the organizations and the people we serve. Um, you know, he talked about making sure you have a robust infrastructure and a team uh, to protect you in the event you have a security breach. Uh, so legal, forensics, a broker such as M3, all of those people need to be at the table to help you make sure uh, you're making the right decisions uh, and you're taking the right course of action once and if you have had a breach. We talked about how the costs are increasing so much. Uh, insurance costs. Um, organizations such as ours, nonprofits, struggle with that. And so hopefully there's going to be at some point uh, the costs are going to at least flatten or, or reduce. Uh, but right now it's been hard uh, for all organizations, but I think especially for our sector where we really don't have margin to be able to be able to afford those additional costs. And then the people that work, our colleagues, you know, there are sometimes these super drugs that are available and uh, our colleagues can't afford it. So it just makes it harder uh, for our sector. We talked about mergers and acquisitions, how it's a little bit different, different uh, private sector compared to our nonprofit sector. He talked about paying the right price, about serving the customer, about doing good, and making sure it's a right fit. Uh, for us, I think all of those things apply, except for paying the right price, um, being that we're nonprofits. We wouldn't necessarily purchase another pro- nonprofit. We could purchase a for-profit entity, Many, and there are many more for-profit entities getting in our space. Uh, but for a regular nonprofit, it would be more of a merger for us. And uh, for us, it's it really has to boil down to efficiency, leverage, scale, and some of the things that Mike mentioned, as such as good fit, 
uh, can we do good and can we serve the customer better? So those were all good points. Uh, we talked a little bit about philanthropy uh, and, you know, he mentioned that like his employees want to give with their hands and their pockets. They want to feel um, the experience. You know, earlier or last year I had uh, Susan, um, who was the former CEO of the Alliance of Children and Families, say that we got to get the donors proximate to the services that we provide again so that they could feel it. Uh, they can touch it. Uh, they can ask questions, more profound questions about it. So uh, Mike uh, alluded to that as well. And he really talked about giving back, like his employees, him as an individual, his company, they want to give back to the greater good uh, of the communities in which they reside, which include Wisconsin and, uh, and other states. So uh, then the last thing, you know, the advice about how can organizations such as ours, LSS, work with corporations uh, to increase philanthropy for our efforts. And he mentioned that we should be proactive in doing our research and making sure our efforts are aligned with, with their giving. And so it's a good way to make sure we're more efficient and effective in the use of our time. And before going to an organization, just asking when, when that alignment might not be there. So I thought that was great advice uh, for us and our sector. I want to thank Mike for getting in the ring with me today. As always, you can find all of our interviews on our website at lsswis.org slash in the ring. Subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn so you don't miss any of these important conversations in the future. Thank you to our sponsor, M3. Con mucho cariño, with much affection. Bye.